The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Happy Friday, everybody, and we are talking about a big Bengals win here at Cincy Jungle and the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Coming at you at a little bit of a different time. We're talking with you about this big win and a lot to digest, so we're going to kind of do a little bit of what we normally do, a little bit on the post game, kind of wrap up all that kind of stuff. We're going to answer some of your questions, so shoot those over to us in a number of different ways, the usual ways. Uh, the OB Insider at gmail.com, call or text 949-542-6241, a number of live comment threads, all that kind of stuff. You can get those at us, and we'll we'll get to a few here. And then, of course, uh, just some storylines coming from this game here. But I'm Anthony Gazenza. He is John Sheeran. And, John, before we kind of get into all that stuff, you, sir, were at the game. You were... One of those high-profile Bengals content creators that were at. You were hobnobbing with them all, and you were there as one of our star guys covering the Bengals and whatnot and having a good time watching the Bengals win. What was your kind of vibe? Uh, you, you hit up Bengal Jim's tailgate, uh, which is just the standard, and uh, you, you hit that up and saw a bunch of our, uh, our, our comrades out there, and then, of course, the game itself, quite the atmosphere. Just tell us a little bit about the evening since you were there in person. I am so jealous. I am green with envy over <laughs> here. But uh, tell us a little about it, man. Yeah, I showed up with a 12-pack of Modellos looking for a good time at Bengal Gyms and met up with Blake Jewell, Bangalorean, Lorenzo Cerise, uh, Joe Goodberry, Joe Goodberry 2.0, which is his son who looks exactly like him. He's wearing a Joe Goodberry hat. <laughs> Uh, Malik Wright, uh, his, um, his roommate and, and colleague Daniel uh, Bengal Sands, who got there kind of late because he forgot it was a five and a half hour drive from Pittsburgh to Cincinnati. Ooh. And then uh, shout out Ron Spatola, who uh, offered me tickets once again and sat with him in section 232. So shout out to Ron. Hope you're listening right now. But yeah, the last two Bengal games that I've been to have been two of the more unique Bengal experiences I've ever seen because you yeah, had the playoff game and I've never mm-hmm. seen the stadium that raucous. But then. 67,200-something people were there last night. It was the largest crowd in Paycor Stadium history, I should say. 
it felt like a college game. And I mean that in the best, most endearing ways. Like, I've never been to a Penn State game, but I imagine it's kind of like that, only a little bit smaller. I feel like Happy Valley has 100,000 people. But all in white with the pom-poms and just a constant energy throughout at least most of the first half up until an unfortunate incident in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. But it was ruckus, and I've never really seen a, a pro NFL game or an NFL game like that in my life just with, I guess, the wideout in general. Not a lot of teams do that because no one really has alternates that look like the Bengals. But it was quite the unique atmosphere, and the Bengals did a great job of it. So I told you before we took the air, uh, I was on solo dad duty last night, and somehow, some way, this is life with kids and life when you're 40. I got stuck watching the game on my phone and my oldest son was watching his Minions movie on the 60-inch TV. And then I'm sitting here going, how the hell did this happen? But uh, on from what I can see in the clips I saw and all of that, the whites look pretty sharp. The white helmets in, in particular look pretty sharp. Definitely a different feel, a different look for the Bengals in person from where you were sitting, I mean, what? How did that aesthetic look? I know you you talked about you know the the, the pom poms and towels and all that kind of stuff. A lot of people wearing white in that stadium, but just from the in person view of the of the helmets and whatnot, how did that strike you aesthetically? I mean, it's just it's gorgeous. It's it's iced out to the max, and you know it would have been nice to see like the new white uniforms, but I understand the logistics of why. They can't do that, but it looked really well. It really popped off off the field. Um, again, never seen the, the the field painted a different color. It was all white Pretty and cool. black. And, yeah. um, good job by them at getting that extra coat of white paint in there. Initially, it looked, it looked like it was going to be gray, and I thought, eh, that's going to be fine. But they they outlined like the end zones with like, black so they can go that like bright white so it wouldn't mesh with the, the outbounds white, if you will. So they did a great job. I assume that this has to be one of the very few times in football game history wherein the restrooms are not being used barely at all at halftime based on the festivities there, honoring, of course, the great Isaac Curtis and Willie Anderson out at halftime for the Ring of Honor, the newest additions to the Ring of Honor. I assume, sir, that you were glued to your seat uh, or standing up, I guess I should say, and, and watching the festivities there in person what was that honoring what was that ceremony like in person watching those two get enshrined in the Bengals ring of honor you're gonna hate me i didn't see it oh I was... <laughs> no <laughs> i was talking to my cousins who were sitting a couple of sections okay away okay. so I was, in, I was in the concourse when it happened I, I know they have it broadcasted on youtube so i was gonna watch it today but no i didn't see it <laughs> well sorry. willie anderson if you want to come on the show <laughs> and talk about it <laughs> Uh, but congrats to those two. Um, very cool stuff. But uh, no, it's it's good to hear that, that it was a good atmosphere overall. Uh, we'll talk about the game. We've got the box score to kind of go through. And then, of course, we want to answer some of your questions. Get those to us, the obinsider at gmail.com. Call or text 949-542-6241. Hell, we may even put the, the link to the show. Maybe someone pops in video chat. I don't know. We'll, we'll maybe decide on that. Uh, and then live comment threads. Of course, the Super Chats and the YouTube take precedence because those donations go directly to the Pollock Family Foundation. GiveSendGo.com slash Pollock Family Foundation. If you want to go directly give there, please do so. We are still supporting them uh, and doing so for a little while here. So appreciate those who have donated so far. But um, kind of an interesting game. 
and a frustrating game, an exciting game, kind of a myriad of emotions. And of course, the scary moment and one that's kind of been a talking point through for, for much of it was, uh, and there are some different routes to take, different a- avenues to take this talking point here. But of course, the Tua Tagovailoa injury initially, and I don't, you know, I'm definitely not trying to be funny in saying this. Initially, when I saw him laying there from the TV angle and I saw his fingers, I saw that he got crumpled up, right? And the way his fingers were positioned, I almost was wondering, oh man, did he actually dislocate some of his fingers yeah. the way that um, the way that they were positioned? It looked really, you know, very just odd. And then, of course, you just kind of see him not really moving much. And then, of course, you know, you, you you think back to the injury he suffered on Sunday. Here's here's my thing with it. I mean, that a lot of people tend to go conspiracy theory and all these, you know, they they you know, all of a sudden we've got a lot of doctors out there and all of that. I tend to believe that if doctors had cleared him in a variety of different ways, you would like to believe that maybe it's naive of me to think so, but you would like to think that he was able to play. My concern with it, John, is, you know, they called it a back injury on Sunday. He obviously was was concussed in this in this play here, again, with Josh Tupo uh, tackling him down. And now my, my thing with it is not so much, you know, did they misdiagnose early or, or whatever. It's just, it's really that short term window, that short week. And the fact that the Dolphins, you know, really kind of, I don't, I don't know, skirted a line, walked a line, whatever you want to call it. I That short week really would have given me pause, even with a back injury and all the clearances and all that kind of stuff. Not that, you know, two, three days makes a huge difference, but it can with, with these sort of things. And then now you're talking potentially if it, there was a misdiagnosis on Sunday, you know, a handful of days later, you got two neurological injuries potentially in, in a matter of five days. And that's really scary. And neither of us know, uh, we're, we're not experts on the subject. Like we just know that there, there are independent doctors who go through these processes and they give the information to the coaching staff and the coaching staff makes that decision. Um, hopefully, usually you would like to see the coaches show care for their players, regardless of if it's a competitive advantage or not. Whatever Mike McDaniel was told, he believed that Tua was good to play. And whether or not he did suffer a concussion, which I was listening to uh, uh, the Dan Lebitard show earlier this morning because he had a, a concussion specialist on, someone who is really advocate for um, better protocols in the NFL. And he said that on Sunday against the Bills, like there were multiple tells just visually that you could diagnose Tua with a concussion, just the mm. overall just shakiness after he got up and then holding his head. And just there were multiple tells that you could like knowing all the information about like what concussions are, you could tell with like a 99% certainty that he suffered like a head injury in that play. And then he comes back on Thursday, regardless whether or not he actually did suffer one on Sunday, it, it doesn't necessarily compound like the, like that tackle that he took against Tua. Like it's not like the previous concussion made that concussion worse, but if you did suffer one and then you suffer another one, that's even more trauma that your brain is taking on. And then, you know, you have cells that are, that are damaged up there and then you can't have those cells regenerate because you took it even more damage. Yeah, within a such a short period. period of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a, a concussion, even in the short term, like you, you may seem like you're fine. And this is what, you know, the experts say, but over like a more long-term perspective over a couple of weeks or a couple of months, like those, th- that damage or, or those signs start to, to take a toll. 
And when you suffer twice within a week, like, again, maybe in the short term, like, he might have been good enough to fly home and get clear from the hospital, but, like, like the, there could be signs over the next, like, weeks or months that it's just not good. It's not good to suffer that much head trauma within just five days, and that's why he probably shouldn't have been playing in the first place. And, again, like, we have no idea who, in fact, cleared him or wh- which independent doctors ended, ended up diagnosing him with a back injury, but you have to wonder about the validity of this entire process. Yeah, it's it was just a really really scary moment, and you know you, you liked you liked the fanfare of the game because you had the reigning AFC champions, you had the three and O Dolphins, you had the two quarterbacks who were top picks in their respective draft class, and guys who were rivals in college, you know SEC rivals, the whole deal. There's a ton of storylines, and and you know really it was a you know a pretty good game by both guys early on when when Tua was quote unquote healthy and in the game early. Uh, so, I mean, it was, a, it was a pretty nice game overall. And then, you know, this happens and, and, and you know, you, it's just a scary, scary thing, especially when you see, you know, an emerging star player get carted off. And I, Roger Goodell was in person at that game. You saw some pictures of, with him and Chad on the sidelines and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I mean, that, that had to be one of his worst nightmares as a commissioner to see that kind of thing play out the way it is. And, um, you know, it, it's – I heard Rodney Harrison today on the radio on on Dan Patrick's show that you know he was kind of volunteering himself up as kind of this diplomat or advocate or whatever to current players as a guy who's 50 years old and has had a number of concussions and now has a lot of ancillary effects from them later in life you know to kind of talk to these guys and it was a really interesting conversation John because and yes we're going to talk Bengals too I promise but it was a really interesting conversation because he said basically every player lies about their injuries and lies about the severity of them lies about they know that when they immediately say head injury or whatever they're getting out of the game and they're probably you know they may not even play the next one and all of that so that to me was very surprising and Dan Patrick kind of shared a story about Heinz Ward who got his bell rung obviously concussed and immediately after you know doing that he grabbed his ankle and not uh didn't didn't you know, talk about getting hit in the head or anything like that. And that to me is just like, wow, the lengths that these young players will go to, to hide or, you know, skirt that it's just, it's a scary thing. And then, you know, Rodney Harrison was kind of talking about how he wants to be a guy that goes and talks to teams and these young players talking about, Hey, you know, don't, don't hide your injuries and don't, you know, if, if there's a head injury, these are the the effects down the road, et cetera, et cetera. So, and you know, Rodney Harrison, he's, he's a pretty outspoken dude. Um, about a lot of different things he's not shy to share his opinion so I found that to be pretty interesting and the whole vibe I think of the game changed after that it was like a 10 minute pause and you yeah. could tell like the, the energy just wasn't quite the same obviously when they scored and whatnot things got pretty crazy but it's crazy how that that switch just gets flipped right after the stretcher yeah. leaves it's like you got to play football again but I really do feel like t- to your point in, the, in those anecdotes like this won't be taken as seriously as it is until we start looking at it in the form of like a life or death situation. Like guys have died with CTE in their brains and that is a negative impact on the rest of their lives. And you live and you have a culture of football where it's, it's always next man up. There's 53 guys on the team. These contracts are not guaranteed in the slightest. Like there's always going to be guys that are just going to try to go out there every single play. Cause that's, that's the culture of, of the game of football that we know it. And it really is it really is terrible sometimes. It is, and hopefully Tua makes a quick and full recovery 
from from this and uh you know still has a very fruitful career and limited after uh after effects from all of this but let's talk about the game itself we will talk about well let's go through the box score a little bit just some some kind of tidbits there and not only the box score john i want to talk about some drives because there are some real questions about some things this team still remains a team that does kind of the, the overarching narrative that I've kind of tried to come up with here is like, they still remain a team that frustrates the hell out of you when, because there's so many just dry spells and it seems like, Oh man, it's just like agony to get a first down sometimes. Um, and then they just, all of a sudden towards the end of the game, they just were putting things together a nice deep ball to chase Higgins was making plays all over the place. So you see the potential. We have seen the the potential for them to just absolutely explode against the Steelers and the Ravens last year. I mean, we see we have seen the potential of this offense, but it just seems to be so wildly inconsistent. And there are play calling situations, there are run game situations, and all of that. Um, and that that still remains a team that uh, can frustrate a bit. I think. I'm really interested in rewatching this game because at least off of initial viewing while being there, the Dolphins didn't seem scared to run their own things on defense. Like, nope. I, I feel like they were mostly in man free. Most of the time they were going press man across the board, only a single high safety. And those are opportunities when you have Jamar Chase, T Higgins, Tyler Boyd in one-on-one situations with little to no safety help over the top. You would think that's where those deep shots eventually came from. And, uh, granted, like they did target T down the sideline, J- Jamar down the sideline a couple of times, and uh, Tyler Boyd got a big play against, again, single high coverage. But for most of the game, it felt like the Bengals were just not really taking advantage of those situations, and Burrow wasn't really pushing the ball down the field. And we talked about, okay, if the, if defenses are just going to cover two or, or quarters, like those chances are diminished and you got to take what's in front of you. But at this time, it just felt like, they just weren't pushing the ball down the field nearly as much as they should have. And I don't know if that was because they wanted to compensate for a lack of running game and have those quick passes as an extension of the running game because they still couldn't get anything going there outside of the first drive. And we could talk about that in a little bit. But I, I was really befuddled by the Bengals getting those looks. Like, those are the looks that they want to have because they have mm-hmm. confidence in the receivers beating man coverage. They have confidence in Burrow pushing the ball down the field. And for whatever reason, they just didn't really do that as much as they should have. And it led to stagnant drives. It led to very predictable play calling. And it led to the Dolphins having success for most of the game outside of a few big plays. But that's continuing to be the story of this team. Not a lot of success on a per-down basis. But eventually, players are going to make plays. And you have explosive plays down the field with Higgins and Chase and Boyd. So I'm really interested to see what Burrow was looking at or if that was his first or second read, if that was where the ball was supposed to go. Because, man, like it, it felt like they left a lot on, on the table in this game. They really did. And it's ironic because when they actually did take the shots, it worked for the most part this time. You know, I mean, Chase had a deep ball down the field. Boyd had a deep ball down the field. Then you had the Higgins touchdown and the Higgins touchdown. If you looked, I think it was, they had two safeties out there, but they were bracketed on the other side of the mm-hmm. field. And so they left Higgins alone, which when, when you've got him, I mean, Xavier Howard's a, a great player. And so you, you kind of feel like if you're the Dolphins, you know, every once in a while, he's going to hold up in single coverage over there and just did not. Um, and so they took that shot when those safeties were on the other side of the field. And, and so it worked 
and there were other opportunities and it, it worked and they just were, they were kind of, to me, a bit uh, obstinate or a bit, you know, just we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to run the ball. We're going to do this and uh, go from there. Um, you are you wanting to you wanted to share your screen there, John? Yeah, this is, I think, Joe okay, Burrow's me, passing chart. Let me uh, take, from, from last take night. the other one out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you can just tell, like, the green dots are the completions, the white dots are the the other throws. For the most part, like, the, this game was just a lot of passes within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage and not a lot of, you know, things working towards the middle of the field where with the Dolphins, like, when Tua was in the game, they, they were having success on some of those in-breaking routes over the middle. And I, I just, I visually have in my mind, like, just memories or just plays of these green dots towards like the, the short left side of the field, the short right side of the field, just not a lot of pushing the ball down the field. Now this is the touchdown to Higgins. This is the touchdown to Hurst. I believe this is the pass to chase and this is the pass to Boyd. So there were shots eventually, but like a lot of these throws, man, like they weren't just against a coverage that was playing off and just let, letting, you know, the, the offense just kind of work underneath them. This was really short passes out of either out of empty and going up against just straight man coverage. And it just wasn't really enough. Yeah. And you see, you know, I think one of those on the right hash there was, was the slant to Higgins mm-hmm. where it was in, in a lot of traffic and, and he came down with that one, which was pretty, I shouldn't say came down with it, but he made the catch, you know, and just a lot of traffic, which was pretty impressive throw tight window throw. And then of course the catch itself. Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning as a parent. You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So here's the box score just to go over it. Um, the Miami Dolphins quarterbacks combined for two interceptions uh, as well as 293 passing yards. Bridgewater came in and played admirably, had the touchdown on a shovel pass and you know, I think unfortunately that that touchdown drive that was the drive where the Bengals, based on Tua exiting the game, they had the 
the, the Dolphins kind of dead to rights. I think it was Raheem Mostert who had who had a run, and then all of a sudden, you know, a couple plays after, it, I don't think Tupo quote unquote slammed Tua to the turf, and it was a dirty hit or anything like that. I think it was obviously there was maybe an unexpected turn of the body and all that kind of stuff, and he just didn't, you know, he wasn't able to protect himself the way maybe he he thought he could have being he being Tua. Um, so I don't think there's anything, you know, there's some people kind of making some comments about Tupo. I don't think there's anything dirty about that play or anything, but I mean, there was kind of a physical takedown of Tua. And then a couple plays later, the Bengals defense, they get over aggressive and they kind of slam the running back to the turf. And you're kind of thinking, why would you do that? Just a couple plays after the quarterback just got wheeled off the field. Um, they called it on Sam Hubbard and watching the replay. I didn't think it was Hubbard. I thought it was maybe more BJ Hill or Mike Hilton. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Those three guys were in the play. And all of a sudden that penalty that would have kind of stifled that, that play would have pretty much stifled that drive all of a sudden extends it. The dolphins get new life and then they go down and they score a touchdown, uh, to bring it. I think it was 14 to 12 at that time after that drive. So that kind of kept them in the game there, but Bridgewater largely played well, did a lot of things scrambling around, um, making some plays there. And then of course, Burrow 20 of 31, 287, two touchdowns. That is three straight weeks, John, wherein he has not turned the ball over. The only times he has turned the ball over was in that first Steelers game and he did it a ton. Um, so, you know, you kind of say, okay. And, and still the Bengals in those three games are just one and two, uh, excuse me, they're um, two and one. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you look at that and then Tyler Boyd it had the big 23 yard pass play. That was pretty sweet. Um, Joe Mixon, this is, this is kind of the big talking point. And I think we've got some questions here about this. What do we do to fix the run game? What is this about? We had a conversation about, you know, maybe you mix a little more Samaj P Ryan in there. Maybe you find different ways to use Mixon. John 24 carries 61 yards, 2.5 yards per carry. I had a tweet that I put in the winners and losers column in uh, on Cincy Jungle from Bill Barnwell, basically noting that Joe Mixon, with the same blocking uh, uh, average running back, he, he fell well below expected yards and first downs from an average running back, given that type of blocking in those situations. Uh, you know, it's a combination of things. Joe Mixon is still getting hit in the backfield a handful of times when he touches the ball immediately. Holes aren't opening, but there was an, you know, there was a goal line stand, John, where he, I thought he should have gone around layout Collins and inside Hayden Hurst. And he went inside Collins and he got stuffed at the goal line. Um, there's just a couple of things where you go, are you just not seeing the read? Are you not processing the read? Are you not trusting the read if you're Joe Mixon? A myriad of factors, and then of course you 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 called it out to probably a bit of predictable predictable play calling. I think entering this game expecting the run game to kind of revive itself was um, a, little, a little misguided, considering a like these things don't just change overnight. And B, I mean that's the strength of the, of the Dolphins' defense. Like their secondary was banged up. Xavier Howard left the game, but even still, when healthy, like they haven't been really good against the pass. Like against the run is where they thrive. Christian Wilkins had a phenomenal game. He was expected to have a phenomenal game against both Alex mm-hmm. Kappa and Cordell Volson. There were only like a couple of instances on the first drive where like, okay, Mixon seems a little bit more uh, decisive. Like yep. in the touchdown run, I feel like he wasted no time cutting back. And I don't think it was like the worst game from Mixon in that sense. But when you have a scheme that's still figuring itself out, 
and you have blockers who just are a little bit overmatched by the opposition, it's not really going to... Tw- 24 carries, I, I know the, the old saying is, oh, if you keep feeding him, like eventually something will break open. And I think that's what Zach Taylor said after the game. Like They committed to it, expecting the dam to eventually break like it did against the Raiders last year, like it did against the Broncos. And it just never did because the Dolphins are still really good in that part of their defense. So it's just, it's not competent right now. And I don't think there's necessarily an easy fix. You would like the running back to be on it all the time and not have these misreads. You would like your blockers to win earlier and more uh, quicker Mm -hmm. and and just have just play better, but they can't, they're not right now. It's just, it's not a working part of the offense. And yeah, like I feel like they've just really committed to it expecting different results, but just doing the same thing. 2.7 yards per carry on the season for Joe Mixon. And he did have a long 31 yard rush, but I mean, you look at this one, this was, there's, there's trying to find a crease late and trying to wear down a defense. And then there's banging your head against a wall, quite honestly. And when you're getting, when you're long rush from your star running back and just in general, running the ball 30 times your long rush of the evening is seven yards that is not good uh and then we talked about p ryan maybe getting you know maybe you want to get him a little bit more involved kind of give a different look he had one carry so uh, you know they they just did not want to do much of anything different and they thought that there was maybe some opportunities there and like you said myriad of factors it's not just on mixing it's not just on the offensive line it's not just on the play calling in it and it does have something to do Quite honestly, with the Miami defense, they played they played pretty well on the other side of the ball. Uh, Raheem Mostert a decent decent night, thanks to a 25 yard gain, but really not a ton for them to write home about on the on the run game either. T Higgins just a, continues to be a really really good asset to this offense and playing really really good football. So far, particularly John, when either Jamar Chase, like last week, didn't have his A game. Or in this case, you know, the, the, the Dolphins were really pressing the Bengals at, at the line, really pressing the Bengals wide receivers, trying to knock them off, you know, what they were trying to do at the line of scrimmage. And uh, it worked for a little bit. As I mentioned earlier, there were other occasions where they bracketed multiple players over to Chase. And Higgins stepped up, man. I mean, 59-yard touchdown, seven catches on nine targets, 124 yards. He is doing a little bit of everything. On a bad ankle, too. He left the bad game ankle. pretty early, and I think he was just getting like taped up a little bit. And then I guess he kind of re-aggravated it during the game, but didn't seem to stop him, really. And the Dolphins in this game, knowing that they were outmatched from a secondary against the Bengals' passing game standpoint, they kind of sold out to make sure that they put someone over the top of Chase. And I think Boyd even got some extra treatment, too, so that left Higgins kind of on an island for a for a lot of those big plays that he ended up having. So that's the nature of this receiving core, right? Like, I, I think I saw an article today saying it's Jamar Chase, the Bengals' wide receiver number two. Well, he's still getting the wide receiver one treatment. He's still mm-hmm. in that X role. I think he's still the primary read for a lot of these plays. But when you have Higgins out there, who's capable of most of the same things, and he's getting less coverage, it, it's just simple math at that point. And I think Burrow knows that. That's why he was so quick to go to him on that deep ball he just all he had space over the top and he just let it out there so that's 
that's what you like to see with this receiving core. That's how they were successful last year, even even against the Raiders. Like Jamar Chase, or excuse me, the Ravens. Jamar Chase um, took took a while to get going in that game, but it was it was Higgins from the top. So if if teams are going to sell out to to stop Chase, then Higgins is going to be the beneficiary of that. That's yeah. I mean, then that's the point of having that hydra of those three there at the wide receiver position. Tyree Kill on the other side, ten catches, one hundred sixty yards. But John. According to Ben Baby of ESPN and Next Gen Stats, two targets, what, one catch for seven yards for Hill with Eli Apple covering after all the, the talk this week from Tyreek Hill. Of course, the big 64-yarder was a bobble play, and Chidobia Wuzier was there on the coverage. Um, I mean, he was right there. Just happened to be a great, great play by Hill, and uh, a lot of those plays were not, according to Next Gen Stats and, and Ben Baby, were not given up by Eli Apple. Um, and so that's a little bit of a misleading stat line for those who say, oh, he went off and, you know, he torched Eli Apple. Well, if you look a little deeper, that may not be the case. Tyreek Hill caught a pass against one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight defenders on Thursday night. And eight that's a testament. Ones. Yeah, eight different defenders mm-hmm. that were the closest to him. That's a testament to. The Dolphins scheming out of their minds to get him the ball in a myriad of ways. It's a testament to as quick as possible getting him the ball because there were plenty of times where he was on the reverse or a little swing pass or something like that. It wasn't always just down the field. They definitely tried their luck a, a couple of times, and one time it didn't work out. The other time it did, even though Wuzier, I think, made as good of a play as you could expect, and the ball just popped up in the air, and Higgins was there. And I think it was Eli Apple who kind of saved it from, from being a touchdown, or maybe I'm misremembering that, but... Like we knew this was going to happen, we knew that the Dolphins get creative with, with a weapon like that. Like McDaniel's pretty smart in his designs and schemes, and we knew that Eli Apple wasn't going to go up against him one on one very much. But the two times that he did, Eli Apple did, did fine, and that's kind of what's expected out of Apple. If he's targeted a ton of times in a game, eventually, eventually a team will be able to take advantage of him. But we knew that it was going to be a woozy more times than not lined up against Hill, and the Bengals did a good job against the guy who's, I mean, he's just good. Like, he's going to get his. Like, playmakers make plays. It's the, same, it's the same thing with the Bengals. Even when they were stopped for most of the game, Higgins eventually made a play. Chase eventually made a play. Boyd eventually made a play. That's why you trust your skill players after time and time again to eventually, you know, beat scheme, beat, beat anything. Waddle, just two catches, 39 yards there, including a 20-yarder for the Dolphins. Um, you know, had a couple of plays there, but... Really, after Tua went out, he was a little bit of a non-factor there. It was mostly the Tyreek Hill show. And then, of course, on the Bengals side, going back there, nice contributions, albeit you know not gigantic ones, but nice contributions from the tight ends. Hayden Hurst, three catches, 27 yards, and that beautiful touchdown to really ice the game. Mitchell Wilcox, an 18-yard catch, too. I think that was on a scoring drive. So a couple of, uh, couple of nice contributions there. And Hurst kind of saying, I, I think one of his post-game quotes was, I think I finally found a home or – uh, feels pretty good about things and uh, nice to see him get in the end zone. And look, John, as we mentioned with the run game issues, that's a player I think you got to integrate more as you get because the Bengals will move down there. They've done it. They've moved down into the red zone, into those goal line situations and just have not been able to put the ball in the end zone. And that's a guy I think you need to use a little bit or think about using it a little bit more and doing kind of the things that you did at the end of the game there to get him into the end zone. Yeah, I don't know if it's just because he's in an offense where – 
with a lot of receiving talent, and he's not always going to be the feature of a lot of plays, but it does feel like the majority of his routes are of the, the short variety. He's not yeah. really being used up the seams that much. You had Devin Asiasi, excuse me, of all people getting the seam route, and unfortunately that flag was picked up after that big hit. But yeah, it doesn't seem like Hurst's verticality is being um, leveraged enough right now. And maybe that's just him getting acclimated within the offense, but it does seem like a lot of those passes are kind of flare outs or just little out routes almost as an extension of the running game, right? Because, you know, it was like one of the first plays of the game. I think Hurst, you know, took a short pass and created a first down out of it. That's like the third or fourth time this year where you've seen some like impressive yards after catch ability and the ability to absorb tackles and get, you know, yards after contact. So it's always nice when Hurst makes that play because he gets pretty hyped about it. Couple, a uh, couple more things. We'll get to some situational football questions, and then, of course, a couple of other questions, and then we will get on out of here. But your take on the Bengals' defensive performance here? I know there was a quarterback switch in the middle of the game, but I thought Logan Wilson played very well. Was pretty omnipresent. Did have an over pursuit of that big Mostert run late in the game, but other than that, he kind of seemed to be flying around making plays. Uh, as was Pratt. Jesse Bates involved in a lot of stuff. Uh, BJ Hill, I thought, stepped in pretty nicely without DJ Reader being there. And then, of course, Von Bell and his two interceptions. Nice plays by him. Sam Hubbard doing some nice things. Two tackles for loss in this game. Uh, just your overall impressions of the Bengals' defense. I was pretty impressed because of, again, those long stretches, those dry spells from the offense that puts – the Bengals defense and did put the Bengals defense in some precarious situations. You know, I'll, I'll represent the Bengals defense in their strike because they should hold the offense hostage at this point. <laughs> I mean, for, for real, it was up to 23 yeah. straight drives during the game without uh, allowing a touchdown. And they only allowed one in this game off of, off of right after a big play that they unfortunately allowed Shout out Von Bell. I mean, we we sat here this week saying that it might be time to use Dax Hill a bit more if they want to go three safety sets. They want to put Dax Hill in that split safety role, but they trusted Von Bell there, and he came away with two interceptions mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. just being at the right place at the right time. But I think he made a phenomenal play on that on that second interception to kind of come across the top of the secondary and then get a pretty large return out of it. So he played amazing. He did exactly what he needed to do to put the cap on this defense. Now there were some plays that they allowed over the middle. I think that's where Bridgewater and Tua had the most success, that intermediary mm -hmm. intermediary part of the field. But you know, Waddle and Hill, they're they're fast. They they can find the vacancies pretty quickly. So that's that's just the nature of playing an offense like that. Stat of the day though, in the first two weeks, Sam Hubbard's pro football focus pass rush win rate was about twelve and a half percent. In these past two weeks, his pass rush win rate is twenty five and a half percent. Mm -hmm. He had nine pressures this game, nine. He had a great matchup in Greg Little. We talked about that right tackle, but he was an all-around beast in this game. And for, I mean, that penalty is very uncharacteristic. I don't. I feel like he may not have heard the whistle and was just trying to make sure that the guy was down. And mm -hmm. it was just one of those calls where it's like, oh, I'm just going to throw this. It seemed late, whatever. Can't really contest it. Well, like I said, uh, yeah. I think it was so close after the Tua thing that I think yeah. it was just that, you know, they were they were ready to to do that. But, yeah. And, uh, dude, by the way, Hubbard's trucking of Little at the end of the game. I mean, he just mm -hmm. absolutely put him on his <laughs> back. Um, so that was just like, wow. And, uh, uh, you know, when you think nine pressures, you're going, man, I just – you wish those sacks were there with it. Um, but he he's 
really the last couple of years, Sam Hubbard's been playing outstanding football. I mean, he's always been solid, but he's been playing pretty outstanding football for, for the Bengals. And he, he continues to be, he does things on the edge, you know, on the contained stuff and kind of does the, what made Robert gather such a rich man with yeah. the Cincinnati Bengals for so long by containing the run. But he also, like you said, those nine pressures, just outstanding, outstanding uh, day from him. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I. I'm going to bring this up here um, because this is kind of a, a little bit of a talking point here. And I, we, we're we going to give Zach Taylor, a, I think, well, the collective week. Get, he gets a little bit of a pass in this because uh, the Bengals won. And this was let, – let's just talk about that for a second. This win going to 3-3 three and three as opposed to 1-2 and – I'm sorry, 2-2 two and two instead of 1-3. and three. Uh, it's still early for me over here, John. I'm 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 still on my my second energy drink over here. Um, but it, going to two and two and one as opposed to one and three, that is a monumental difference uh, yeah. in terms of standings and, and especially just kind of the log jam where the AFC North is early on here, and then the Bengals go uh, to Baltimore in in week five, but they got a long week there. But this win in your eyes, and this is going to be kind of uh, some of the questions that we've gotten here too. And one that I've been hearing, but number one, what did this win mean for the Bengals season? And number two, your take on the, the Bengals viability, because here's, and I mean, no disrespect because of the Tua injury here, but this is a, a weird thing, a weird anomaly for the Cincinnati Bengals, essentially, depending on how you view Mitchell Trubisky, Fringe starter, right? I mean, I, I think if we've seen the Steelers play so far, I mean, that's a guy that's kind of like, okay, I mean, could be a backup, could be a starter. Backup, Cooper Rush. Backup, Joe Flacco. And then for the better part of two and a half quarters, backup, Teddy Bridgewater. They've played a number of backup and or fringe starters to start the season, and yet they are two and two. So I guess quality of this win and where the Bengals are at two and two facing all of these backup kind of quarterbacks. Hmm. I, I think even with Teddy out there, I think it's still like a an, an, an admirable victory for them, considering the Dolphins. They, I mean, Teddy didn't play bad necessarily. The defense stepped up, and the offense is still unfortunately finding itself. And I think, yeah, like they played backups and they played you know teams that are maybe not as you know talented as them, but the talent is not resulting in the production that you're expecting. And that could just be a case of it being early in the season or it's just guys underperforming. And I think that needs to be addressed. Like, yes, this team's potential is that of a three and one or four and a team and a team that's, you know, entering the season was a favor to win the their division and do something in the playoffs. But they're not performing like it. And yeah, like l- losing to teams that on paper you should beat is not ideal. But I think you just have to sit back and say this team is not as good as it can be right now. And either that gets fixed with just guys getting more reps together. I think I think it, it's important to note that this is the first time in a decade that the Bengals offensive line 
has played 100% of the snaps together in the first four weeks. A decade. Like, not even in 2015 did this happen. So that it's continuity, nuts. It, it's, it's not it's not saying that, like, they're good or they're fine. It's saying that wherever they are right now, they have a clearer road to get better just because they're playing together, just because they're learning things about themselves. It's true. Like, every season is different. And I think... If the Super Bowl hangover is not real, just the transition from one season to the next with changing piece up front and just trying to figure out what you can and can't do because defenses kind of have the script on you from last year, it, it's notable and it's definitely taken an impact on this team. And you would like to be 3 1 at least at this point in the season against those teams, but you're not. And if you're able to find things out about yourself and leverage that against other teams you're going to need to against better teams then that just may be how the season has to end up for them they have to get some quality wins here if they want to remain in the playoff conversation so yes this team is not nearly as good as it can be but also I think we just need to accept that some things just are the way they are I think Zach Taylor is always going to have a handful of questionable decisions that he makes in the game not necessarily decisions but play calls in certain scenarios like no one wants to see a fourth and one pitch anymore but it happened for the second time in five weeks because for whatever reason they don't want to run it up the middle on fourth and one sometimes if they're scared that those gaps are filled or whatever the reason may be like like that's just what you have to accept I think with Zach Taylor at this point he's in this fourth year growth is growth but at some point I think guys just are who they are players are who they are maybe this is what Lel Collins is going to be for the entire season as he deals with the back injury maybe you know, the defense won't be as good going up against other great offenses, but I think they can be relied on every single week. And that's just that's just the nature of what things are. And I think, again, as they, as they play more together, as the season progresses, they'll find more of their groove and maybe they'll become more consistent. But I think this team is showing you, like, the, the strengths and weaknesses of them through four weeks, and we just have to accept that. Nice segue there. And, you know, some of these kind of overarching questions are ones that we've kind of got, we've received from a number of different comments and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to still get to a couple of questions before we get out of here. But really, you know, you look at this first drive, kind of statement drive, right? A lot of runs, a lot of just kind of, you know, uh, some of it was plotting, right? I mean, two yards and a couple yards here and there, four yards, you know. But, I mean, they made it happen and they punched it into the end zone, right? And took a took a nice lead. And then you start seeing things here, John, you know, the, the downs, uh, giving the ball up on downs and fourth and one from the Miami 24. I, I understand what you did in the first drive there, but this is the, you know, Joe Mixon right end on the tackle eligible Hakeem Adeniji in there. No gain, fourth and one. I mean, was that the right call, especially when you got Evan McPherson hitting field goals that would have been from 64 yards? I, you know, again, you walk that line, you know, fourth and one, you're in deep in their territory. You want to be aggressive, but at the same time, you're calling plays that just really have not been conducive to positive yardage and or playing to the strengths. So I don't know. This is this is kind of right here, especially Joe Joe Burrow passing complete right on on first and ten. Okay, and then uh, he scrambles for five yards, and then third and five scrambles for four, and then on fourth and one, you do the the right side play to Joe Mixon that ends up getting the ball, uh, giving the ball back to Miami. There, I, I don't know. I you, you had your quarterback scramble the first two plays, and then you run a play. I I don't know. I, I I'm just kind of at a loss in terms of this sequence of plays right here. 
Yeah, and I, I don't have a problem ever going for it on fourth and one. I feel like if you can't get a yard, you probably shouldn't be on the field in the first place. But, I mean, that's going to happen. Defenses are going to make plays, especially when you have defenses who are, I think, more aggressive and confident in stopping the run, and that just puts more pressure on the block. And we had a question from Mr. Whisper. Thank you for the $5 super chat that's going to go to the Pollock Family Foundation. But he's asking the same question that everyone else is asking. After four games... Is it the scheme, the, the blocking, or mixing? Man, like, we don't know. I don't, think, I don't even think the team knows at this point. It's a combination of all of things. It, it, it yeah. is. You can't really boil it down to one thing because if you could, you would think that professionals in this industry would be able to figure out a solution. But I, I think it's defenses, again, knowing that they're having trouble blocking up front, knowing that the running back is having trouble reading things, and just playing with confidence and aggression that, again, puts more stress on those blocks to be perfect because, because you have guys collapsing down pretty quickly and if blocks aren't opening up as soon as possible you're going to have issues with a lot of pieces that are still trying to figure out how to work together on fourth and one man you you would like to see another better, better play call than that pitch out and then you had i think on the dolphins like one or two yard line and another mm-hmm. fourth and one I'll go down there yeah yeah they opted to take the field goal which is self-evaluation for them saying we have no nothing in our bag that can get us a yard on fourth down when teams know that they're going to run it so we'll just take the points and trust our defense which which makes sense in the moment but also you don't want to see them necessarily lose that aggression i think there's a fine line to be drawn where you're cognizant of what's working what's not working and you're making decisions based off that but also at the same time it's not forgetting your aggressive identity and how that's more times than not going to work out for you regardless of the situation going on. Because if you run 10 plays on fourth and one odds are you're going to convert five. And unfortunately they might've been over five tonight. If that that was, if that was the case. Here's the troubling thing. That is a trend to me, John, that was noticed in the, in the postseason Bengals settling for field goals instead of, getting into the end zone and there was a lot of that still again the turnover on downs and weren't in the red zone but they were very close at that point and then of course your the the drive i've got up here where they opted for the field goal late because of you know that was a domino effect of not getting that first down and points earlier in the game right that's where this decision kind of came into play among many others but you didn't get points on that other earlier drive to help extend your lead whatever you know put your put your foot on the throat so to speak and so now this game is tighter than you would like. So now you've got another short yarded situation and now you got to kick the field goal to get more points to extend your lead that you thought you should have had earlier in the game because of your aggressive decision, right? So here's my thing though, John, and this is what worries me. This team has explosive plays. This team can get down the field. Um, when the one running game is right, it can be it could be pretty lethal. But when this field shortens, when they got to get small yardage, when they got to get tight yardage, when that field really shortens in goal line situations and red zone situations, they seem to struggle a bit. And, you know, getting a yard, getting a couple of yards, get pushing it into the end zone. And that is where you talked about quality wins a while ago. That is what's concerning to me when you need to get these quality wins because you're going to play good teams. You're going to have tight games. This team likes to play tight games. We know that. And these games may not be as tight and in favor for the Bengals if they can manage to work themselves out of these situations, these funks in these short field, short yard situations that they are just not that great at. Yeah, and I think 
in, in that sense, when the field does condense and it's easier for defenses to kind of put their foot down and, and stop you, I think mm-hmm. that does come down more to execution rather rather than just talent and just guys making the special plays. Like you, when you need a yard, like and defenses know that it's going to happen and, and they're going to try to run down your throat to run to the side. Like you need you need blocks to be executed. You need guys to you need your back to you know decide where the hole is and to just just to burst through. So. I think that's probably where the issue is. Like, it's just a lot of execution errors right now. And that could come back to coaching. That could come back to guys just underperforming. But, you know, it's just a myriad of things right now. And when the field does shrink like that, it it does come down to just guys not executing. This is the troubling part. And then we'll get into a couple listener questions and get out of here. But you see here, first half, you got to punt. Then you give it up on downs. uh, Then you punt three consecutive possessions. Uh, You know, and... One of which, again, you got all the way down to the Miami 24-yard line and got no points out of any of those drives. That's not that's not good. And then, of course, the end of half, I mean, they let the touchdown up at the very end of the half, so that doesn't count. And then you open the second half, five-play punt, four-play, you know, three and out, a, a second punt, and then you get the field goal. Was this the one that was from uh, – I don't know. Was this the – this was the chip shot one, right? Um and so you look at that and you you go, okay, there's just too many dry spells and too many, you know, situations where it's like, you know, you've moved the ball, you've done some different things and the amount of points that you've netted out of these drives. I mean, you don't have, you can't score every drive, you know that, but I mean, when you're talking three drives in the second half to start it and you get a field goal and that's, and then earlier in the game, you gave up on downs. You had punt. I, it's just it's for the talent there. There's a there's a total lack of correlation in terms of the talent there and these big long stretches of just not getting any points. And again, I'm I'm really interested to look back on this game when we got the additional camera angles there because there was just a clear dichotomy of either you know, really short passes within five yards of the line of scrimmage and then the occasional deep shots. There was no mix of intermediary throws that really kept the defense honest at times, mixing in with some of those quick passes. And I don't know if that was just to get the ball out quickly or to just, again, be an extension of the running game, but it really does feel like defenses can can play press man and kind of take their chances if they're not going to go deep, you know, more than just a couple times a game. They're going to just play up on you and just try to get the if you're just trying to get the ball up pretty quickly, like they can be confident in some of those coverage schemes. So, I think you need to see more of a diversified approach in the passing game to kind of solve those issues. So you see here, Carl Frilling, of course, a win is a win. We should be happy uh, talking to us on the face on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. Yeah, I think people are happy, but we're talking about a team that was the AFC champions and was three points away from a Super Bowl win last year. And so, I mean, the expectations are raised. And when you've talked about dropping two games earlier this season, that should have been very winnable. Um, we, we may be picking, you know, nitpicking here a bit, but I mean, that's kind of what comes with the territory when you're supposedly one of the top teams in the AFC. And uh, we, we're, we're happy about the win. There's no doubt about it. But I mean, these are the things that need to be worked on. And the problem, Carl, is also that the, the Bengals appear, the Bengals offense appear to be having some of the same issues that they had late in the season that, you know, kind of prohibited them from winning a Super Bowl and almost prohibited them from getting to the Super Bowl 
uh, throughout the postseason. But let's let's get to the phones, and then we'll get to a couple more questions. We've got John from Kentucky. Been a while since we've been hearing from him. He is driving the truck. John, what's going on? Hey, guys. I hope I'm coming through okay. I am driving. These diesel engines can be a little bit loud. But anyway, I just, uh, I'm very optimistic about the Bengals. I think they've done okay. Uh, the first two games, they only lost by three points. Uh, one at the very last second of the game in overtime, and well, even against the uh, uh, Cowboys, yeah, it was late in the game. I think I think we're doing okay. You know, I'm old enough to remember a coach named Marvin Lewis, and he never made adjustments, and the team was just put into these grinds, and the players think beat up half the time. And there's another point about a flag. I don't understand why. His name's Eli Apple. Well, I remember a player named Baker Patrick, and I think Eli Apple is miles ahead of Baker Patrick. So I think the Bengals are in good shape, and I do think we'll be Baltimore next. Uh, won't be this Sunday night. The Sunday night after, we'll be good. All right. Well, I hope so. Your 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 words to the big man's ears upstairs, my friend, and uh, good. Thanks for checking in. Good to hear from you, and uh, don't be a stranger. I will be in touch more often. Hey, who knows? All right. See you, John. Uh, good to hear from him, and we'll get to a couple more questions and then bounce out of here again. You can get to us in a number of different ways. A couple of live chats. Call, text uh, 949-542-6241. Um, and then, of course, the live chats, like I said, email the obinsider at gmail.com. We'll, we'll keep an eye out there. Uh, was there were there some others here, John? We've got quite a few live viewers on a number of different platforms here. Good to see everybody. So a lot of different comments and questions coming in here. Are, are you seeing any that uh, you would like to get to as we start to close up shop here? Yeah, we got one from Dan the Man. He was asking if we're confidence level in Josh Tupo and Zach Carter and their ability to hold. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. DJ Reader returns. So Reader was officially placed on IR. So he's out at least four weeks, probably going to be closer to six weeks to two months. I, I feel like, Anthony, this game was not a great um, litmus test to see where they are compared to uh, when Reader was out there because they didn't ha- – I don't think they ran a ton of those odd fronts. I think they were mainly just four down the line and have, you had Tupo as the nose tackle in this game, which is kind of expected. But the Dolphins had the majority of their success on the ground – on some of those outside runs, those tosses and sweeps to Mozart, and he was able to, uh, I just call him Mozart? He's, he's a classical <laughs> pian- pianist, but uh, Mo- Mozart, yeah. So he had uh, some space to run on the outside, and he was did a good job of cutting back up field, which is kind of his strength. So we didn't see a ton of the Dolphins running up the middle against the Bengals' um, defense, and that's where DJ ran a lot of his plays. So I think it's a little bit too early to say you know what the drop-off is necessarily, but... I think not having DJ Reader just makes that a clear downgrade compared to to, Dot, to Josh Tupo. But the Dolphins did different things in this game where you're not really able to tell what that drop off was. Lot, you know, this is an outside zone run team and and all of that with with what the Dolphins like to do. But you mentioned this not being necessarily a good litmus test for a Bengals defense without DJ Reader. You know what is the next game on the schedule? Yeah. Baltimore Ravens. That's the that's the good litmus test without DJ Reader. So, um, you know, if I, I was, I, I thought that what, what did we say? The Dolphins had, I think, under 100 yards rushing in this game. Uh, all things considered, you, you liked you liked that. I'll, I'll get the exact number in just a second here. But you, 
you like that. Uh, yeah, 22 for 85 and less than four yards a carry. And really, that's uh, most of that was think, thanks to a one big run, a 25-yard run by Mostert at the end of the game. But that was that was about it. Uh, Cincinnati bottled things up pretty well. But talk to me now after next week, and we'll, we'll see exactly what this team does. I thought B.J. Hill did some nice things. I thought the linebackers really stepped up and played well this week. Uh, Pratt and Wilson – particularly doing doing some nice things against the run kind of Wilson was going sideline to sideline there was a lot of cool breakdowns on that but um talk to me next week and uh we'll we'll see I mean reader's gonna be missed and the Ravens like to run 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 and then run some more oftentimes so uh reader will definitely be missed on that one uh let's see if we need to get to others here um uh, so a, a lot of stuff I think it was Chris Chris Swave, yeah, he said this a couple times in here. Uh, quarter of the season, do you have more confidence in the offense or defense? And then kind of tied into that, Chris Risner says, I'm very, I've been very critical of the other line, but happy to hear that they played well last night. Um, let's start with the offensive line question, and then we'll talk about the overarching confidence of the team, and then maybe we'll, we'll start to get out of here. But um, the offensive line, okay, the last couple of weeks, the sacks and the hits have been – far minimized as opposed to the first couple of weeks. Um, now, I think the Bengals have altered their scheme. Obviously, they they got Tyler Boyd involved a lot in quick hit, hitting passes against the Jets, kind of did a lot of the same things in shorter passes with Higgins this week and then took their shots when they did. So, again, John, I ask, you know, you, you talked about this offensive line finding its way and still trying to do some different things. I ask you, is this – uh, the last couple of weeks with the diminishing of the hits and the sacks on Burrow, is that the team doing different things to put a Band-Aid over still remaining issues on the offensive line? Or is it, hey, they're just kind of – they're starting to kind of get their feet under them and that's they're just playing a bit better. I mean, there were moments with Collins last night, some not-so-great moments, and then there were some, some pretty good moments as well that I noticed. Uh, Jonah Williams remains kind of – you know, uh, up and down a little bit, but um, I don't know your take on the offensive line. You do the weekly line man, at Cincy jungle. What your take on the offensive line these past two weeks, as opposed to the first two weeks. Yeah. I think like you said, like they've done different things offensively. They've been, I think hammering or harping on burrow to get the ball out quicker, just kind of take the check downs a little bit more often. And maybe he did that a little bit too much in this game, which is why the offensive line, at least their production may have looked better than their actual individual performances. I don't think Lil played very well last night Kappa got Burrow hit a couple of times and you know they had some tough matchups Jalen Phillips is a very underrated edge defender Melvin Ingram's coming off the other edge you have Christian Wilkins again coming up the middle so the Dolphins have have guys up front that can win and you know they did their job so I, I feel like overall is a very average performance from the offensive line but average is viewed as the greatest of all time to this point <laughs> because of, um, yeah. relativity so there's definitely much room to grow and like we talked about earlier the fact that they've had this very rare form of continuity at least rare in the eyes of the Bengals in their recent history I think that bodes well for them continuing to get better but I think you you at the end of the day you need better performances for both Kappa and Collins and we may not get that from Collins this year we have no idea so to Chris Swave's question of what do you have more confidence in a quarter of the way through the season, the offense or the defense? And I don't, you know, I don't know if that means on a per game basis, long term, but 
Because it's it's actually a trickier. You look at it and you go, okay, well, the defense has just kind of been playing more consistently and doing you know doing better things on a regular basis this year through four games. But then you look again at all the talent and everything on the offensive side of the ball, and you go, how can you really bet against them? So it's a tricky question. Well, who in the world has more confidence in the Bengals' offense compared to their defense right now? Like one unit has been together for now two plus years. I think it was either Apple or Bates that said last night that the communication levels within the secondary are at that playoff level. Like they're they're just rock solid. They know their assignments, and even when the play is happening, like they know where to be, they know what to do, and they and they've limited a ton of big plays. They've obviously gone 25, 24 the last 25 drives without allowing a touchdown. Regardless of the, the strength of competition, you now have you know multiple pass rushers up front, not just Trey Hendrickson winning on a consistent basis. You have Logan Wilson playing like an outstanding linebacker. Like there's just no there's no weaknesses with the defense. And that was the expectation for, for them coming into the season. Whereas the offense is still integrating new pieces on the offensive line and getting their feet wet. And again, they're finding themselves and learning what works and what doesn't up against defenses. And just in general, like like people have noticed across the league, offenses are scoring at like a 10-year low compared to just recent years. And this has to do with defenses kind of going back to their roots and playing more too high coverages. And it's it's frustrating not just the Bengals. It's frustrating most high-powered offenses in the league right now. You have the, the uh, Chiefs inexplicably scoring like 17 against a Gus Bradley defense. You had Buffalo kind of playing bad this past week. The offenses are, are, I think, collectively as a whole, figuring out how to you know work against defenses that were kind of left of the past a little bit. But the Bengals defense, they have nothing to worry about there. Like they're playing lights out. I, I do have more confidence in the Bengals defense at this point in time, and it's really just on the consistency front. We know that the offensive line is is a, a bit feast or famine, and thankfully the feasts have come at opportune times in these last couple of weeks where. It's like, you know, the defense has kind of held them off, held them off, held them off. We're limiting points. What did you say? 23 straight drives where the defense didn't allow a touchdown. Um, that's that's solid, solid work. Uh, and, and so when your defense is doing that for you, then they're then you're, they're starting to get the pressures, the sacks, the interceptions, that sort of thing. Okay, they're starting to mix that in. I'm just a little bit more confident in in the defense right now than I am in the in the offense, just because of a consistency standpoint. But again, if we're talking about the offensive line potentially growing and then getting more comfortable, we're probably having a different conversation at the halfway point of this season or the the three quarter point of the season than than we are right now. But for right now, the defense has kind of continued to keep the Bengals in games i'm trying to think here what i i didn't do the average but their average points given up per game has to be in the teens and uh, i mean you look at that loss 23 points given up to the steelers seven of those was on a pick six to burrow so uh, i mean they're just not giving up a lot of ground a lot of points in games and you gotta you gotta tip your cap to them there's there's sixth right now in uh, EPA per play allowed and third in success rate allowed. So they're limiting explosive plays. They're limiting mm-hmm. just consistent plays on a down down basis. Like they're just playing great. It's all there is to the, it. The big the big play by Tyreek took him bobbling a crazy pass on great yeah. coverage to to come down with it. And that was you know like you said they just kind of let them have that short intermediate stuff and 
that was that. But we're going to get out of here, folks. This has been awesome. We've got, we've got a lot of viewers on a lot of different platforms here, whether that's uh, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, uh, and, and we appreciate that. We don't normally go live at this time, but um, I was pretty tired last night. I've had John and I have had a week. Um, and so we, uh, I was going to go live last night, but I actually prefer to do the post game, not solo. So I appreciate you coming on, John. We did kind of a, not necessarily post game cause it's so far after the game, but a wrap up some commentary, took some questions. This has been fun, man. Yeah. We will have to do this more often. We, we will, we will. Thank you everybody for your questions. Again, go, uh, Support the Pollock Family Foundation, givesendgo.com slash Pollock Family Foundation. Or if you are so inclined, your YouTube Super Chats will be going to them as well. So we're collecting those and going to make a big donation over there. Appreciate all of your support. Enjoy the rest of your football weekend. We've got a lot more coming to you. And, of course, you can get uh, this stuff on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel through your favorite audio streamers, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. We are there along with Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends and Coach Speak and Chalk Talk with Coach Matt Minnick. And then, of course, you got to like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page and keep it to cincyjungle.com for your news, opinions, analysis, breakdowns of the Bengals' big win against the Dolphins. John, have a good have a good weekend. And I'm trying not to be too jealous that you were at that game yesterday, but I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best to uh, to get through the envy. You, you were there in spirit, man. We, we showed out with the OBI stuff last night. So uh, good to see everyone last night. And we'll talk so. to you guys next week. All right. Take care. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.